are busy. We get it. Listen to on-the-go Farm Journal Intel, the latest insights from our webinars and content streams to inform and inspire your way of life. Today, we're featuring audio from the June 19th Drovers webinar, Technology, Traceability, and the Beef Industry of the Future. Neville Spear and Dale Blasey examine the current technology and application of traceability for the beef industry and traceability's role in the future of the beef industry. Specifically, the panel discusses how they anticipate the COVID-19 pandemic will affect demands for traceability from cattle producers. Hello, and welcome to the Drovers webinar technology traceability in the beef industry of the future. My name is Greg Henderson. I'm the editorial director of Drovers and I'm joined today by two of the nation's top experts on traceability. To get started I'd like to recognize our panelists today. Each of them will share key insights about traceability. We will spend the last 15 to 20 minutes of this webinar taking questions from you and you can submit your questions at any time using the Q&A link below. Our panelists today are Dale Blasey, Professor and Extension Specialist, Animal Sciences and Industry at Kansas State University, and Neville Spear, who is Director of Industry Relations at Where Food Comes From, and he's also the past chair of the National Institute for Animal Agriculture. Dale Blasey is Director and, uh, of the KSU Beef Stocker Unit and Animal Identification Knowledge Laboratory, which is a unique facility designed to evaluate the performance of existing and emerging animal identification technologies in a laboratory and animal management setting. Now I'm gonna turn it over to Dr. Blasey. Dale? Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. If I can have my first slide. Thank you. Uh, Greg contacted me last week and charged me with four questions to address for, during this very short presentation. A very brief review of animal ID history, how we got there, how we got here from where we were, uh, how the technology has changed, a description of the need for traceability, and finally cost benefits. Uh, this first slide illustrates the, the vast history our industry has with animal identification. Uh, verification of ownership perhaps with the use of our hot iron brands over several thousand years I think is, is very important uh, to, to take into consideration and certainly the other picture with the back tag from what we see at many auction market facilities throughout the country illustrates that we do need, uh, whether we recognize it or not, we do recognize the importance of identification of, of the animals uh, under our custody. Next slide. Uh, however, uh, when we look at issues for perhaps a foreign animal disease or even anything domestic, it becomes incumbent upon our, our state animal health officials, our APHIS veterinarians in charge to rapidly and quickly try to contain whatever the insult may be to our industry. It, I think it's self-evident that we want to wall potential issues off as quickly as possible. And, and one thing that our health workers need are uh, quality data to, to quickly affect any changes. And that, that, that includes accuracy and timeliness. Uh, our, our animal health folks do not have time to be sorting through paper copies in, in file cabinets to try to identify where the potential problems may arise from or where they have gone from that point. Next slide. And so 
uh, ever since 1993, when the first ISO standards for low-frequency identification, that's the low-frequency tags, I'll call that the old style. Uh, they're still very effective today, and I'll address that at greater length. But we have a myriad of, of technologies available to our society, uh, uh, be it biometric. I'm going to focus predominantly uh, over the next couple slides with respect to RFID, but I as we, as we affect our lives from day to day, uh, we are in continual contact with various means of identifying whatever we have, whether it's our vehicle, uh, our, our key card to get into a particular building or what have you. Next slide. And so as we talk about technology, uh, there's barriers for a lot of different reasons for firms to look at transferring from a from a grandfathered system to something that is more uh, up-to-date, more dramatic, it, it has to fit into the business plan. And for many of our operations, that's simply not possible. Uh, if you can ease into it, if it fits into what you have purchased previously, can you find the same tangible results? Uh, do you have the necessary computer savvy? Uh, the entry costs, is it consistent with what's coming down the road? If there's a lot of questions in our industry about what is the flavor of the month, does an operation want to make a particular investment into that? Is it provable? Is it reversible if necessary? Is it leverageable, if you will? Next slide. And so when we talk about radio frequency identification, on the far left side of the spectrum is the low frequency, the 125 to 134 low frequency. Uh, that has been around, as I, as I alluded to, since the early 1990s. Uh, then we got the high frequency, and some people at times have confused high frequency with the ultra-high frequency that is the current flavor of the month in terms of our technology. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, regardless of whatever technology we want to talk about, we have to attach that technology to the animal, and we have to do it in a very humane fashion. It cannot have weight constraints to it. It can impede its natural behavior. And so I always challenge my class to look at the tag quality metrics from three perspectives. What is the cost? What is the distance or uh, the, the performance of the tag with, with whatever frequency we want to visit about? And what is the retention of that tag? You start adding weight to the ear tag, you're going to start to run into problems in terms of retention. So there's a lot of challenges there. Next slide, please. So if we just contrast the low frequency, the old versus the new, the ultra high frequency, low frequency is basically a frequency for inches. And so we're talking about strategic locations, pinch point locations, where we're able to read an animal, one animal at a time. Uh, there's a lot of various issues behind that. Collision is one which basically, what that basically means is that reader is capable of interrogating one tag at a time. Uh, more than one enters into the read space of that transceiver, uh, it simply does not work. And so the great news from the ultra high frequency is that it has a much greater range. And with that brings additional challenges in terms of the backscatter effects from that particular frequency. So, uh, while the low frequency is old technology, is deemed as being ineffective because it is a frequency of inches, it is a proven technology, 
and it is implemented and used with great success in many other of our other animal industries, such as the dairy side of things. Uh, next slide, please. Here are some of the warts, if you will, for low frequency, and it's, I'm not gonna go through every point, but there's issues with respect to, to the low frequency, environmental influences, challenges from the reader, challenges from the transponder, all have an impact on the readability of the low frequency. Next slide, please. But this is basically a picture of an architecture, if you will, of the ultra high frequency. It's a flat tag and it must be inlaid into a panel tag affixed to the animal's ear. And so the inlays that are presently used in tags today and priced at a certain price point are not ruggedized. And next slide, please. What that essentially means is that in various scenarios where an animal is head caught, the danger of, of damaging that tag. And so these tags, be it dangle tags, are really not designed for the long-term use of, say, a, in a beef cow, say, uh, long-term use with mama cows. We're talking more from post-weaning to the background and growing stages into the feedlot stages. So a very uh, low tag. Another important thing to appreciate about ear tags is that ear tags are not ear tags. Ear tags for feedlots are formulated with different resins to last a very much shorter period of time than ear tags that are designed to be put into mama cows for long-term identification purposes. Issues with the brittleness uh, from the sun, uh, the, the breakup of the plastic, there's a lot of, there's a lot of technology that, that goes into the formation and creation of ear tags. Next slide, please. So some of the great things that we are still discovering with regards to UHF is exactly the capabilities. Uh, this particular uh, transom is located at the stalker unit and uh, trying to identify UHF tags in a pen feedlot condition, identifying location of those tags specific inside of that pen. And so looking at eating behavior, and even looking at water behavior, there's some great opportunities. And the great advancements with respect to UHF is with the reader technology, the algorithms and the various particle separators that are being done uh, to really leverage the, the strength that the UHF technology can bring to the table. Next slide. Uh, you start thinking about the next steps. And, and again, with the, the rapid change in energy the battery technologies and uh, being able to affix readers to drones, for example, there's, there's some great, I think, great outlook and great future for UHF. And it, compared to the low frequency, is a very, very immature frequency. We truly don't understand it completely, but yet there's, I see a great potential down the road with respect to this particular band in the radio frequency. Next slide, please. Uh, the next question I was asked about the particular drivers uh, for traceability, and in no particular order, we can, we can rattle them off uh, A through Z, and there really is a strong case for traceability at the local producer level, at the operation for the producer, all the way through to society. I think there's, there's a great reason why we should have traceability affected into our society. Next question. Next slide, please. Uh, this is this is conceptual. Please bear with me. I see a, 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 a continuum, if you will, between having 
electronic identification for a national animal ID system, in this case, ADT, as opposed to all the other attributes that could be leveraged from this technology. And it's a sliding scale, if you will. At certain times where we don't have any problems, we need to re be able to leverage that technology uh, 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 to, to make our operations more efficient and, and to address the issues that we have with respect to building and improving our consumer trust. Next slide. Uh, the analogy I use with my class is a national animal ID system, and this is my own personal opinion, is much like uh, a new builder of a hotel or a large building has to go and get zoned for fire protection from an insurance protection perspective. So they place their fire sprinklers inside of their building, and that building over its lifespan of 100 or maybe even 200 years, that fire sprinkler system may never work, may never need to, to be turned on. It's there if the emergency presents itself. And I, I look at it that perspective in terms of something that is a benefit for our industry without putting additional weight on the backs of our individual producers. And so this is a societal issue. This is uh, the recent uh, Wuhan virus issue has really illustrated how precarious our food uh, structure is and, and how we must protect it. We need to make sure that we keep uh, our food protected at whatever cost. And it is a societal issue. I guess that's my bottom line. It should not fall on the backs of our, of our livestock industry as it stands today. Next slide. Our industry is incredibly complex. And again, it, it was running like a top prior to the, the, the Wuhan virus and how the, the system got incredi incredibly clogged up. Uh, but there's a lot of, of transportation that, that is involved in our industry. It is a very vast and expansive uh, industry. And I think it really emphasizes the importance of the interstate commerce and knowing where potential problem animals may come from and being able to uh, validate where animals come from and do it in such a quick and, and fast um, means of doing so. Next slide. Uh, this is some older work. Uh, Dr. Chris Ringwall, when he was uh, in North Dakota, did a great project back in the early 2000s tracking calves that originated from auction markets and just tracing those calves from where they distribute around the Midwest, the beef belt, if you will. And, and you really got to take into consideration how elaborate and how complicated this, this whole process is in our existing livestock system. Next slide. This is my final slide. And I just, animal ID is critical. Uh, it's trying to figure out how to make it pay. Uh, in this current course, as we determined back in the early 2000s with NEIS, the disparity, the the, the disparity in the cost of implementation of RFID between the cow-calf producer and the other segments from there on out is vastly different. And there needs to be an equitable solution to implementing something on a national basis. Animal ID linchpins everything that that producer, he or she does on their operation. I don't care if it's health, nutrition, genetics, marketing, management. And with that record system, that axle, if you will, we can address a lot of the consumer perceptions. Last week, I listened uh, in on the BIF uh, uh, presentations that were given uh, online because of the, the Wuhan virus, 
And I listened to Dr. Clay Mathis from the King Ranch Institute, and he emphasized the improvement of consumer trust. And, and that's where we're at in our industry. We need to do a better job of addressing the concerns of our, our consumers. And Animal ID, I believe, is the linchpin for making all this come about. With that, Greg, I'm gonna hand the, the speaker back to you. Thank you, Dr. Blasey. So remember, if you have questions, please submit those uh, using the Q&A on the bottom of your screen. Next, I wanna welcome uh, Dr. Neville Spear, who has extensive experience in, and involvement with the livestock and food industry, including various service and consultation projects spanning such issues as market competition, business and economic implications of agroterrorism, animal identification, assessment of price risk and market volatility on the producer segment, and usage of antibiotics in animal agriculture. Dr. Spear, it's all yours. Uh, Greg, thank you very much. Really a, a pleasure to uh, be with you and, and certainly an honor for me to, to be on a panel with Dale. I think, Dale, you've just provided a really, really good overview of where we are in this business. And, um, you know, interesting enough, we get a lot of questions about low frequency versus ultra high frequency. And that's as good a review as you're going to get anywhere in terms of talking about the advantages and disadvantages of uh, each of those systems. So Greg asked me, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Greg asked me to talk about traceability and, and really kind of focus on the consumer orientation. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting. A lot of times as, as you go out and, and you work with producers, there, there tends to be a, a lot of kind of mixing of concepts when we talk about traceability. And it can be used for a lot of different things. Um, but generally, uh, in, in this business, we're talking about one or the other. It's, it's generally around animal disease traceability, or it's on the private side where it's much more consumer oriented. And oftentimes, I think as Dale just pointed out, those are sort of either or, but really they can be mixed together. Um, it's not an or, it can be an and, and, and I'm going to hopefully show you and demonstrate to you how that, that really happens um, as we get to the end, and no pun intended, that'll be the bookend of, of what I have to say here. Uh, but we can do both and, and do it in a meaningfully, meaningful way. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Those of you that are familiar with the National Beef Quality Audit, um, I, I think, in, interestingly enough, the first three that we did in 91, 95, and 2000, if you looked at the very top concerns in each one of those, they were all really product oriented. And, you know, we began to understand in this business that we did have product concerns and um, certainly we needed to address those. But interestingly enough, all of a sudden in 2005, the, the emphasis began to change where traceability and then how and where cattle were raised or in general, just product story became much more important. And that's, that's a pretty significant shift um, as we talk about meeting the needs of the consumer and meeting the needs of our business. So with that, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. I think it's important that we, we talk a little bit about consumers, uh, where they are, and then how this whole issue of traceability really fits within the business. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide. 
you, you know, consumers really changed after the the first recession, not the one that we're in. But by the way, we're going to see very real changes in consumer behavior following this. In fact, I just saw some data uh, yesterday that 26% of consumers uh, coming out of COVID will stay committed to buying meat online. Uh, and, and we're certainly seeing that. But, you know, interestingly enough, if we go back to the financial crisis, the, the post-recession consumer, most important, the takeaway from this slide, they were increasingly taking care to purchase goods and services from sellers that meet their standards and reflect their values. We see that more and more, that consumers are very much concerned about what they're purchasing and if that aligns with what they value. And, and there's, that's, there's lots of different values out there. We understand that the market becomes increasingly complex, but they want to know the story, something that aligns with where they are uh, when they make those purchases. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide. So this is a study that's about four years old, but it, it's certainly very important and very fundamental and certainly the, the trends have stayed uh, in line with this, but most important, consumers want to know more about where their food comes from. Uh, almost two thirds want uh, the food industry to take more education uh, uh, take action in educating producers on how food is produced. And then they think it's important to understand how their food is produced. And two out of three consumers um, want to know that. And, and ultimately, really what this underscores, it's about transparency and, and lines up back with that, uh, those inferences from the National Beef Quality Audit. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide. So when producers, though, many times are going to ask the question, okay, how does that line up with where we are? And, and oftentimes the concern is what, what's the market going to be? Um, but I think it, it's increasingly important also to understand, you know, what's, what's the business environment telling us? How are we adjusting? How are we adapting our business to that uh, business environment? And then ultimately, where do new opportunities lie? And I think that's especially important if we go to the next slide to remind ourselves that we really do, uh, we work in a commodity business and, and yes, the, the beef industry is increasingly, has increasingly decommoditized itself. But at the end of the day, in the absence of any information or ability to differentiate yourself in the market, the cattle value just go back to the mean or, or worse in the absence of of information, right? We work in the law of large numbers. This is a big business. Um, you know, if you think about that, we market somewhere between 22 and 23 million head of fed cattle every year. Um, you're going to end up in the law of large numbers to create loads and, and, and what have you. But let's go to the next slide. It is possible to differentiate yourself in the market. And that's the power of traceability. And, and these are three examples of, of real differentiation, source and age, non-hormone treated cattle, verified natural beef. These all would be out of superior sales. The premiums are real for heifers and steers both. Uh, those begin to add up. And sure, there's a little bit of cost on, on the other side of, of implementing these programs, but the, the premium is very real. And that premium exists because consumers are sending signals and, and ultimately that creates pull through and um, 
if you if you're able to differentiate yourself in the marketplace you really can create value for your for your operation okay let's uh go ahead and go to the next slide i think within all of this and as we talk about traceability and especially um where we want to go and what we want to do um I think it's important to kind of go back to the world perspective study that was completed several years ago. And, um, you know, the key tenants that um, were, were important that it needs to be industry driven. It needs to serve both public and private interests. Data privacy is always one of the biggest factors is, is uh, producers uh, talk about traceability. They're very concerned about, and rightfully so, data confidentiality. Uh, needs to be equitable, needs to be compatible with industry practices, operate at the speed of commerce, uh, that, you know, we can't slow things down. This is a big business that moves quickly. We can't slow things down. And ultimately, it has to be credible in domestic and international markets. And I'm, I'm going to, I have a, what, that little beef passport ear tag up there. We're going to talk about what beef passport is uh, here at the end, but I think, um, you'll see that that beef passport ultimately meets a lot of these. But let's go ahead and go to the next slide because I want to talk about international markets. Uh, Dale touched on this really well in, in his presentation. But as we think about the value of the export market uh, to a beef producer and to the Fed market, you know, it's been about a $25 per hundred weight premium during the last six years. And so, in other words, we're creating over $300 per head in export value. And we are the only country uh, in the world that, uh, in a primary exporter, that doesn't have a, a traceability system. If there's an issue, and as Dale talked about, speed is essential and we're going to do something and have trace back, we don't want to lose this export value. So the ability to provide a meaningful trace back and do it quickly is what's ultimately going to get our system back up and running in the, in the event of an outbreak um, and maintain some commerce continuity, continuity and ultimately provide confidence to our trading partners. Um, so this is, this is really an, an important thing to focus on as we talk about traceability. Okay, next slide. Over at uh, the National Institute of Animal Agriculture, I serve as co-chair on the ID Council, and, and we just uh, finished a series of webinars, but we did a little survey uh, right towards the end of those. And, and I thought some of these comments were very important, and it really talks about the need for industry involvement. And, and ultimately, a couple of things that, that I saw were that especially important, and they're in bold there. We are and will continue to succeed where producers see value. Um, this is a value-oriented discussion, and um, you, you know ultimately that's really important. And, and then it's also important to emphasize how traceability functions across these public and, and private databases and how all stakeholders are involved. And, and so I think really the emphasis here is that yes, government involvement is critical, but the private industry also is essential in terms of driving this forward. And, and I think we're making really good progress there. Okay, so let's go ahead and go to the next slide. I think uh, interestingly enough, this, is, this data just came out from the Food Marketing Institute. Um, 
And, um, you, you know, it's interesting if you look at where consumers think is who has responsibility and then ultimately who do they trust in terms of transparency, they ultimately hold manufacturers and brands responsible for providing transparency in terms of food. But who do they trust? Farmers and ranchers. And that, I think, is really key because if farmers and ranchers can drive the system, that's ultimately who consumers put the most trust in. And um, that's, a, that's a really nice kind of private market solution um, as, we, as we talk about traceability and meeting the needs of consumers. Okay, so let's go to the last slide that I have here. I uh, just wanted to talk real quickly about Beef Passport. It's something that we have implemented ultimately to help kind of reduce friction in, in communication um, among producers, feed yards, and, and packers. Um, we now have an interface with tag readers at, at most of the major packers, and we are able to much more quickly implement um, cross-communication around value-added uh, programs like NHTC, Verified Natural Beef, our CARE program. I'm going to, um, and, and so it really has been a very valuable tool uh, for our customers uh, all throughout the chain. And you can see that we're able now to also facilitate traceability and also work in terms of tag retirement. Um, our, our number one priority is data security and confidentiality. That continues to be true. Um, this is a, a very powerful tool for our producers. We're now reading, we read roughly 5 million tags last year. So we are making a big hit and big, taking a big chunk in terms of really creating some critical mass. Uh, most important, I, I just uh, have highlighted there, U.S. Verified. We are now in the process of uh, launching that program. That is a source-only verification, really geared uh, for producers that want to focus on country of origin and being able to highlight that. So we're excited about that particular offering. So with that, um, Greg, I think that's where I'll end, and, and I think we're open for questions and comments. Thank you, Dr. Spear. Um, you're right, uh, great presentation from both of you. Um, now it's your turn. Please submit your questions now using the Q&A at the bottom of the screen. Um, I have a couple that uh, uh, we have already. Um, Number one, and, and this is for both of you, can you tell us, so, uh, give us some idea of the number of cattle um, that are in feedlots now that are uh, tagged with a UHF tag, ultra high frequency? Any data from anywhere on that? Um, I, I, I would say, I don't, I don't know the breakdown between low frequency and ultra high frequency. Um, it wouldn't be very high as a total percentage. And a lot of the issue is that there's not very many UHF tags that are program compliant. Right. Yeah. So. So uh, is it uh, your experience and, and, and Dale, maybe you alluded to this a little bit, but uh, we're concerned about the speed of commerce. Um, is the technology there and can we operate at the speed of commerce now? That's a good question. And, and one thing I failed to mention with respect to 
any of the uh, frequencies, any of the radio frequencies out there, I think we ought to look at them in terms of looking at application specific. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a great deal of work with UHF with back tags. Mm -hmm. Now, because of the architecture of the tag, I mean, we're talking about feed yards verifying all cattle being ready to be going to the processing facility that they're residue free. Uh, so, you know, at 30, 40 cents per head for that short-term use of that technology, uh, it, it, it could be utilized right there. They can, it could flag if an animal is still under a residue issue from an antibiotic or what have you. Uh, that gives the, uh, the feed yard an opportunity uh, to make sure that calf is not put onto that load. Uh, there's some short-term value to that. To answer your question about the prevalence of UHF tags out in the industry today, uh, I can't. I don't have an answer. Yeah. So, so Greg, I will tell you too, though, in terms of speed of commerce, um, I wish I had a video. We just did a presentation for the National Institute of Animal Agriculture around beef passport. Uh, but, you, you know, you get low frequency readers put together down an alley and um, there, there's no delay in terms of being able to read those. Um, you can unload cattle and run them down an alley and read those, those panel readers without any hesitation. You know, I, I don't want to rain on any UHF parade. I, I think it's great for a mob environment, especially in an auction market facility, where you're not pinch pointing those calves down, creating any potential bruising or anything like that. Uh, we just need to tweak it and we need to continue to evaluate it. It's relative to low frequency. It's, it's a fairly new uh, frequency that's out there that's just being introduced. And with this COVID uh, ish instance, we're seeing a lot of uh, increased use of RFID in some of the other retail spaces. And it will only be a matter of time before we see that uh, start to permeate into the livestock space as well. Uh, within the next two or three years, we're gonna see a lot more uh, leveraging and exploitation of this particular frequency. Well, to that point, uh, if we see more online sales of meat and beef uh, delivered, let's say through Amazon, won't that increase the need for a traceability program? No question. I, I, I think uh, as we see consumers um, get oriented towards an online purchase, they're going to be very interested in a high quality um, product that has a story and, and, and is differentiated in the marketplace. And, and uh, I think it will do nothing but drive traceability. Absolutely. You look at the activity in, in several of our pharmaceutical companies uh, acquiring animal ID technologies, that, that just tells me indirectly, they, they recognize the value of information uh, and, and at risk of maybe hurting their margins in terms of marketing of their antimicrobials and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's all about safe and sustainable use of these products. And it, it all boils back to consumer trust. I think, I think they get it uh, from both the two or three of the top four pharma companies out there making vast investments and some of this information technologies and the various tag technologies that are out there, uh, I think they recognize that. I have Greg, a I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Greg, I, I just wanted to kind of dovetail on that. One of the things, you know, as we talk about all of this and, and being very consumer oriented and, and, and um, focused on that, that end product, 
The other thing that I think you would see is a, a lot of our customers who get involved in traceability and, for example, just a, a source and age, where they begin to do a better job of record keeping, that those advantages begin to spill out in terms of management of their own cowherd. And they're able to leverage that. And, and um, a lot of times you'll see them, once they do it once, they want to continue to do it because it really has helped them in terms of it's, it's knowledge management and decision-making and it creates value internal in terms of the business. What you're talking about is a return on investment. Absolutely. Uh, traceability system for a ranch or a feedlot where they're yes. able to make genetic decisions based on uh, data they've collected, improve uh, uh, carcass values, so forth and so on. Yeah. It's just heightened awareness of what they're doing. Absolutely. I have a question um, from the QE here. Uh, uh, lack of UHF ISO standards. Uh, Dale, I think uh, maybe that's for you uh, uh, to address. There, there is a UHF standard. Okay. Uh, it is actually in, in the slide deck that I shared. Uh, it is there. Uh, I've, done, I've done some tag evaluation work, and, and it's a bit tricky to decode uh, the, the, the ISO number of the tag, which would be comparable to the ISO 11784, you got to use a decoder to actually get in there because there's a lot of hexadecimals in there. And, and it's a bit of a challenge, but uh, there, there are the EPC, there are EPC slash the ISO, there is an approved ISO for the UHF. Okay, again, uh, question. Um asking if any of the Packers, if you've heard of any of the Packers is starting to discuss a need for uh, cattle having RFID or traceability coming into the plants? They're doing it. They're doing it. And that's, for example, Beef Passport. We're working directly with the Packers um, and uh, those readers are set up at the packing plant level and they very much like to have cattle come off the truck. It helps to cross-reference inventory and what they know is coming and, and what is already there and what have you. So most definitely it's a benefit. I mean, we, we reap the benefits with the beef cooperator that we work with, uh, with collecting carcass data electronically, uh, with the use of our low frequency button tags. We, we gain access to that data after the cattle leave our facility. So, I guess the logical next step is that they would, packers would demand um, that as a price of entry, or uh, maybe they would refuse to buy cattle that are not under a traceability system. Is that coming? It, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question, there, Greg. Um, I, I think certainly they increasingly see the value and, and um, at some point there may be some differentiation in terms of pricing, what have you, if they have a tag or not. Yeah. So I have another question um, and it's a little long. Uh, how does the industry accomplish complete traceability from birth to conception to consumption without having the majority of the implementation implementation cost being borne by the cow calf segment alone, uh, I think that's a uh, a major question that producers all across the country have right now. I'm not sure we have a good answer, but I'm going to throw it to you guys and and um, 
much you have at it. That's the crux of the whole issue right now today is that. How does, how do we equitably dis, uh, share the cost of implementation? And as I alluded to during my presentation, uh, it is totally unfair to, to rely upon the cow-calf, the backs of the cow-calf producers uh, to support the initial uh, installation of that RFID tag for those cattle that subsequently go through the various segments of our industry. And so there, everybody's got to have equal skin in the game. I mean, if the Packers only paying eight or nine cents relative to the $4 to $6 per head from this latest study that I cited, uh, it's not equitable. It's not fair. And so here we are today, 20 years later, uh, nothing to address the question that you posed to us. There's nothing there. So Greg, I, I think that that question also sort of harkens back to some of the survey questions from the NIAA ID Council participants that um, it really has to be industry driven. There has to be some value on the other side of that and, and um, you, you know, right, just the push to for a government mandate is only going to get us maybe part of the way and vice versa. Um, so it's it's really a focus on value. And I think in some ways, Greg, that kind of goes back to the previous question. The Packers may be able to derive benefit and therefore pass that benefit all the way back, you know, back upstream. And that's really going to be the driver if you want right. to create traceability. Yeah. So another question here, and this is about USDA's uh, involvement. And, and we know, I believe it's been about a year ago that, that the USDA backed out of the the animal ID uh, program again. But this question is, uh, what's the USDA's latest stance on national traceability? I'm not sure they have made it any, any comments lately uh, that we know of. I'm not aware of anything yeah. that has come out since that uh, renouncement. And unlikely that they will, uh, especially in an election year, um, and, and certainly there are uh, plenty of other issues revolving agriculture and, and the beef industry that it just wouldn't seem like it would be a, a time that they would jump into this. I think what the industry is trying to do, and, and you give me your thoughts, but with all of this discussion around traceability, we would, the industry would like to get their own system in place rather than wait until a time when maybe the government steps in and, and tries to tell us what our system is, correct? Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and, and I'll just, that last, that second to the last slide where I showed the whole flow of cattle from the ranch all the way down to the packer, it's a game of thrones in terms of the various agendas of the various groups that are involved, be it everybody from the tag manufacturer to the auction markets, to the feeders, to the packers, to the cow-calf men. Uh, there's, 15 or so different agendas happening. And so trying to find common ground is somebody's going to have to step out and, and basically lay the groundwork for every, to something that everybody agrees to uh, and trying to do it equitably and fair for, for all involved. But, but it, yeah, and, and to that point, you know, but it can be done and it can be industry driven and, and, you know, we're seeing good success with our programs in Beef Passport and maintaining confidentiality. And again, that's a major priority. 
Um, it, it really goes back to the world perspective study. If it's industry driven, um, I, I think it can happen. And, and Greg, I don't want to rain on this parade, but there are producers out there making traceability work for them today. Mm -hmm. They're not crowing about it, though, because it's part of their business model. And good businessmen, good businesswomen, uh, if something's working for them, they're, that's a competitive advantage. Uh, thank God for America. And, and mm -hmm. they're making that work for them. Yeah. And we're just not hearing about it because that's their intent. This next question, I think, uh, goes along with that. Um, uh, this person asked about um, the privacy and protection of privacy with RFID and who controls that property information? So I'll just tell you from, for example, from IMI Global, where food comes from, that, that is producer data. And all the information, the sightings, very clearly that is owned by producers. Uh, we've been in business for 25 years. Confidentiality is key. Um, if ever there was a question that came from USDA, uh, we would always go to the producer first and ask. You know, there's been a couple of instances in the past where that's happened um, around whatever few issues, um, but yes, confidentiality is number one priority. That and liability, concerns of liability. Uh, Kansas passed a law 15, 20 years ago. Allie Devine, when she was with the, the KLA, she uh, was one of the primary drivers be behind that when, when the NAIS movement was amidst us. Uh, <clears throat> it's important. It's real <laughs> in terms of custody of liability and, and, you know, at what point are you no longer responsible with the information or how you control your cattle once those cattle are out of your out of your control dale i'm going to rely on you for uh, an answer for this are we seeing growth in other tag technologies such as lora or bluetooth well bluetooth is a communication protocol and i wish i knew what your acronym for lora I'm, low I'm low sorry, i don't know that either uh i'm not on that one there you know, innovation is incredible. There's, there's so many various, I mean, right now there's some work under a mess that I'm aware of looking at facial recognition of cattle, taking technology from the equine industry and attempting to apply that to facial recognition for beef cattle. Uh, 911 was a, 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 what happened to our country and the use of biometric data by our nation's airports and stuff like that is a good example of what we're seeing seep into our into any of the affiliated industries and livestock is one of them. And I, I, I think maybe we touched on this, but uh, the application for DNA traceability. It's, it's highly accurate. It's, it's, it's expensive. Uh, you know, handheld readers to, to really get real quick. Uh, it still takes time. And when you're on the fly, uh, there's different intents. Uh, it works. It's gotten the well size that they've been able to achieve in terms of their throughput and with the handheld readers that they have now with respect to DNA is amazing. And there's companies out there today that are flourishing, utilizing that technology in terms of, of traceability. But for day to day, uh, I, don't, I don't see that being uh, something that we 
just pick up routinely use from point to point. Okay. Neville, um, does uh, where food comes from work uh, only through branded beef products or is it also, um, you know, how does it work for commercial cattlemen? And uh, do you have to have a direct relationship with a, with a retailer to make it work? Absolutely not. And in fact, I mean, all of those programs, for example, that I listed source and age NHTC um, verified natural beef, those, none of those are specific to a, a brand. Um, and so any producer can get involved. And then, you, you know, as I talk about us verified um, that's, available all of these programs available to anyone at, at any time so it's you don't necessarily coordinate with one specific company let's talk for a moment about um the producer audit uh, people that are involved in a system whether it's through a, a private company or whatever obviously we don't have a government program in place but one of the things uh, you know that's a concern is actually having an audit of uh, your system on your farm or ranch. So uh, can you tell us, uh, you know, what we know about that? So it depends on, on what type of program you're involved in. in some of programs require an on-site visit. Uh, other programs don't. You can actually get them done um, via the desktop. Uh, but typically, I think most producers would tell you it's not that onerous. And, um, you, you know, it's going to be thorough. But, you um, it's not uh, overwhelming and it's very doable. So, yeah. So I, I have a question here again. Um, what production record keeping or health management tasks do you see being done routinely in 10 years in the feed yard or the ranch? I assume uh, what tasks uh, are, are, are going to be uh, increasing or record keeping or health management task routinely in the next 10 years? Well, there's a lot of that happening today, but keeping track of, you know, administration of any of the pharmaceutical products, uh, vaccines, er I mean, everything. It, I mean, a lot of the conscientious producers do, do so already. Yeah. They maintain lot numbers on everything until the cattle actually leave their premise. Uh, but I'm going to see more and more, I would say more and more producers are going to adopt that. And that's going to be part of doing business. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's exactly right. And, and, um, and I, I think it's going to be not only verification of health records on the cab, it may ultimately also go back to the cows where they want to see some records of cow vaccinations and what have you. And I think this whole concept of fetal programming is going to become much more important to cattle buyers. They understand how important that is to health. And as we get more and more pressure coming in terms of antibiotic use, uh, all of these things are going to be really important. And I think you're going to see to Dale's point, um, kind of a flurry of more health programs and some traceability around that. Like I said, the pharmaceutical companies vesting in these animal ID technologies, I think is going to be uh, another entree, if you will, with the use of their products. They may actually demand it. Uh, it's, it's a custodial issue, and, and they want to make sure that it's being properly used. One of the challenges this industry has, of course, is um, we have a large number of small producers 
who may not um, see the value the same as a um, rancher who's in business producing cattle full time. Yeah, that that is a challenge, and and I you know my my answer would be that they work with their local veterinarian. Uh, the only problem is we have a shortage of large animal veterinarians. I mean, so this is a an issue that our policymakers need to make up on, upon high uh, to, to guarantee that uh, we get more dedicated food animal practitioners to assist our producers that are running 15, 20, 30 cows. So I'm going to go back um, and, and ask, I have another question here. Uh, how can we expect to have a uniform traceability program with all of the current companies and all the new entries, like Dale says, with the animal health companies coming in? I, I think maybe that is, is the question geared towards uniformity of one program um, versus uniformity of standards. Yes. So, so those are really two different things. And I think a lot of times, I think that really goes back to my first slide, traceability. We, we tend to make it this big kind of discussion. What really matters is, are we reading tags or reading animals, knowing where they are? And, and ultimately, before we even have traceability, can we just establish bookend? And we, we know source, a, a ranch of origin, and we can retire a tag. And, right. and, and that's really the, the first step. And, and um, uh, you know, again, you go back to this is being implemented in real time today. So it, it can be done. And right. I, I don't want to confuse the audience. I mean, when I talk about uh, a pharmaceutical company having a proprietary tag, uh, and I'll, I'll just pick on one. Uh, the SCR tag from the uh, Allflex lineup, uh, an acquisition that they got from an Israeli company. Those SCR tags are, they do a lot of things beyond just merely identifying the animal. They have a battery on board. They monitor animal behavior. Uh, it fits my situation very well from a, from a research perspective to try to answer questions about chewing activity and, and so forth. But what I believe your your questioner is asking is the base point. We just need a common tag standard just to get that animal initially enrolled into it. it the, the question is, is sharing that cost, as I've alluded to a few times. One of the um, uh, outcomes of the Chipotle um, health crisis about five years ago was that they implemented their own traceability program and it's not necessarily for the meat products but it uh, went all the way back to the um, lettuce and other things uh, you know and and they have a complete traceability system from farm to you know their stores now um, do we see more of this uh, coming in especially in light of this pandemic that we're going through do we see other restaurants other retailers doing similar things yeah, I, I think so. I think you're going to see more and more, uh, I, I would say, telling the story, right? Forward documenting what, what it is about these animals and then maintaining that story and that the integrity of the story all the way through the supply chain. 
I, I think there's huge opportunity there. Absolutely. I've, I've got a couple of more questions here and we're, we'll just be out of, about be out of time. So this um, question is with uniformity of standards, will it be possible to use blockchain to transcend data transfer from multiple companies and or data owners? Uniformity of standards, will it be possible to use blockchain to transcend data transfer? Go ahead, Neville. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, you know, we've been, even if I go back to my days at AgriClear, we've been talking about AgriClear, I mean, uh, blockchain for five or six, seven years. I, I think the challenge there, it's it's really challenging and it's all dependent upon the quality of the data that gets implemented into the blockchain system. Um, you, you're still going to have to have somebody ultimately do that. And, and, and I, I'm not sure this industry is really ready to dive into blockchain just yet. I'm not sure we're there. And, and I struggle with that concept. You know, it originated from Bitcoin, uh, the use of the, highly encrypted Bitcoin, just one currency, uh, and it ebbs and flows. I've not heard much about it in the last yeah. eight months. Okay, final question. And uh, we've touched on this a little bit. Um, it's about the premiums. So providing premiums to producers is clearly important for traceability. What is your opinion on where that premium should come from? the packer, the consumer, or somewhere else? Well, those premiums come ultimately from the consumer, not directly, but they get funneled into a wholesale product, which gets funneled back to a packer, which gets funneled back to a feed yard and on and on. And, and ultimately the only reason there's a premium that exists for source and age or NHTC or beef care is because that there's an end user at the end willing to pay for that. And that, that premium gets handed down through the chain. Greg, I'm not an economist, but it, it just, it, I just can't imagine how our feed yard cattle today are getting paid a certain price. And then we see another price in the, in the meat case and, and, the mysteries of where that value increase occurs at. And so my, my immediate answer would be, it should be the person buying the finished cattle and then let them negotiate the value back to the retailer. I hear the altruistic perspective from, from Neville. I get that. I mean, people, if they want that, they should be pay for it, but the value is occurring somewhere in there. And mm -hmm. uh, it seems like our producers today are not getting that share of the retail dollar that's being expended today, at least in the current climate that we're seeing now. Okay, with that, I'm going to say thank you to Dr. Spear and Dr. Blasey, and uh, we appreciate your insights and support for the cattle industry. Uh, I do have a few quick programming notes here. You will receive a replay of this webinar in the next few days to watch on, your, on demand, and you will also find an archive of this session under the Education tab on drovers.com. We also invite you to join us for additional free online learning from Farm Journal. These include the Farmer to Consumer Price Gap on June 25 at 3 p.m. 
and mid-season crop management on July 2 at 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time. And we also invite you to attend our virtual event, Farm Journal Field Days, and that's on August 25th through the 27th. You can learn more about this premier virtual experience at fjfielddays.com. Thanks again for joining us and uh, this special webinar, but find the latest on traceability at drovers.com slash traceability. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Want more great content like this? Farm Journal Field Days is a combination of virtual and live programming on August 25th through the 27th. The more than 100 informational sessions align with key interests and needs of the crop and livestock sectors. Visit fjfielddays.com to register now. That's fjfielddays.com.